Well, enjoy this. As most of you know, that um, that uh, next month we're going to be moving, and it's a good thing, and it can be a hard thing. But um, September 10th will probably be our last Sunday in here, and September 17th we'll be over at Due West United Methodist sharing with them, and hopefully being a blessing to them. So uh, enjoy it now, because when we get over there, I was thinking this today that uh, we're very used to, there's no windows here, and we have this mood lighting. Over there, we're going to be walking in the light as he is in the light, okay? Because there's windows in the roof, there's windows on the side, and there's, I think it's great because I, I'm, I'm like excited because the mood light drives me crazy. So um, get ready, but, uh, and there'll be no smoke machines, thank you. And, uh, and no bubble machines either. So, <laughs> anyways, let's get, a little, get back to what we're supposed to be doing here. This is our word of prayer, and then we're going to look into the word for a few minutes. Lord, thank you. As we just sang, thank you, Lord, for your blood that was applied to those who will receive it. And in that, we have made, been made righteous, and we've been made whole. And with you, we are complete, as it says in your word. And as we look into your word, Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, we bless you, Lord. Amen. Yeah. The church. If you notice, I put a question mark last week and this week. Because last week we looked at what is the church? What is it all about? You know, because we see so much of what is being presented as the church today. And we always hear, you know, the phrase, as I said last week, you know, it's time to do church. We're having church today. Wrong. <laughs> the Bible says that every believer makes up the church. We don't do church. We don't have church. We are the church. In fact, someone gave me a, this, and they, they said, I felt the Lord say this this morning. If Paul saw the church in America today, we would be getting a letter. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? But it's scary. <laughs> because it's true. If we, if, if, I'm sure Paul could probably see, we don't know. But the thing is, is that Jesus sees the church. But I'm going to go with what John MacArthur said one time when someone said, what do you think the shape of the church is in? And I've said this a number of times in sermons. He said this, he goes, the real church, we're doing great. The false church, not so good. Because the church, the living church of God, is doing great. And so we got to decide which one we're in. Let's go on. Here's the church, the definition of the church. We saw it last week. I've used it several times. The church is a community of all true believers for all time. Dr. Wayne Grudem wrote that. I think it's great. Put it simply, the church is made up of all who are truly saved. So, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. We're going to look at three verses, but I'm going to give you a background just real quick. Paul told this to Timothy. Now, real quick, let me lay this out. Paul is on his way to Macedonia. He left Timothy in Ephesus to set things right. Can you turn this down just a little bit? Thank you. He left Timothy, as you can read in 1 Timothy, he left him in Ephesus to set things right in the church, to get the elders squared away, to get the deacons squared away, to get the people squared away, to combat the false teachers that were going on. And in fact, the first three chapters of 1 Timothy, Paul is giving supportive instruction to the people. Again, we see elders, we see deacons, we, we see... In fact, Paul even gives his testimony. And he has that famous verse that many of us like to quote, which we probably can't quote. He said this, you know, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, or foremost, it says. And he says why he said that, because he persecuted the church. And so in his mind, in his heart, he was the worst of all sinners, because he persecuted the church. And then in the last part of it, we have the last three chapters, we have these strong warnings that Paul is giving to the body, to Timothy, to the people, to, he even brings up several men that are, have done him wrong. So we have this balance, but right smack dab in the middle is verses 13 through 16, which is a transition verse. Let's look at it. Paul said this, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, which he was, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is a mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the, in the world, and taken up into glory. So we have these three verses that are, that are sandwiched between the supportive encouragement and the strong warnings. And they really are a transition because in that, he tells us what the church is all about. Verse 15 gives us a picture of the church's motivation, the master they serve and the mission they are to accomplish. And in verse 16, it speaks of the heart of their very message. So here's what we're going to look at today. In God's household, there is an expected conduct for those who claim his name and proclaim they are his. Now you're going, oh man, here we go. It's not what you think. Remember I said last week, that it's hard today to tell a believer from an unbeliever? I watch people on TV, anchors, that are, and I'm, forgive me if I step on toes. I watch TV anchors. I don't watch too many news shows, but there's a couple of morning shows I like to watch and see what's kind of happening or what they say is happening, which I don't believe half of it. But some of them will say, talk about God, and they talk about church, and they say, praise God. But then in the next thing, they're talking about sexual stuff. They're talking about getting drunk, and they're talking about, wait a minute. Where's the difference between, and I'm not just using getting drunk as the only, you know, only example. 
But where's the difference between believers today and unbelievers? How can you tell the difference? Why are we not living this living different? If that's true, then if so-called believers make up the church or we make up the organization, why are we not different? Why is there not a very distinctive line? There's, a, there's an old tale that there's no proof of, but in the Alamo, got to go to Texas for a moment. In the Alamo, they're getting ready to, for that final battle. Travis is, is sweating because, you know, the troops that he was hoping would come did not show up. And they're sitting there with a small group of men. They got some families and children in the Alamo that are, that are hunkered down. And he knows that they're not going to win. And tradition and, and myth tells us he took his sword and he drew a line in the sand standing in front of the, the actual Alamo, the church. And he's standing on one side and he goes through a wonderful speech that are good words. And then he says, all that are willing to stay, to give our lives for this purpose, step over that line. And tradition says all but one guy stepped over the line. It was probably a Wallace. He probably left. No, I'm kidding. That's my last name. But he, all of them stepped over. And they gave their lives for the freedom of Texas. Think about that as we go along. So here's, a, let me read this again. Look at it with me. In God's household, there is an expected conduct for those who claim his name and proclaim they are his. Let's go on. Here we go. Verse 15. Well, let's read 14. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. That's the love that Paul had for Timothy and for the church in Ephesus. Here we go, verse 15. But in case I am delayed, as I said, which he was, he never made it, I write so that you will know how one ought, ought to act, conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. The first thing we look at is the motivation. What's the motivation for those who are believers? What's our motivation to do this? Well, we can simply say yes, and don't lose me, don't get too tired. Okay, hang on to this. We can simply, as every believer would probably say, is Christ. Well, yes, you're right, but look at this. The motivation here is that we are of the household of God. The household of God. The church needed to know how to conduct themselves. Why? Because in every home, there's an expected conduct. You're going, not my home. In every household, there's some kind of expected conduct, which nowadays in today's society, they tell you not to have that because that's oppressive. No. No, let your children have, have the freedom to find out who they are. No, I'm going to tell them who they are. How many of you were smart enough to find out who you were, were as a child? Don't put your hand up because you weren't. Not even Lynn Kirk. Okay? No one was, I, when you were little, were you? No, no, because that's the part of a parent, to lead, to guide, to move them into where, really what God has for them, into who they are. Some of you may disagree. That's okay. I'm praying for you. 
But in a household, every household, there's some type of expected conduct. Now, if you walk in and the kids are jumping all over the counters and they're trashing it and they're writing on the walls, and the parents are going, well, that's just who they are. And you're going, well, there's no conduct. There's no expected conduct. No, that is the expected conduct. It's called rebellion. And if we don't think that's going on in the church today, we're wrong. The household of God. Look at household real quick. Let me sh- look at that word. Just glance at it for a second. You know what it means in the Greek? Household. Know what it means in other languages? Household. But you know what also it means? It means family. God gave us each other. We've seen that as we were looking through the church a while back. What the church is in Acts chapter 2, they were family. They 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 hung together, they they ate together, they 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 supported one another. If someone was lacking, they would sell something and give the money to them to help them out. They took care of one another. Household means a home, a dwelling, a family. It means those who live together in a home. Whether we like it or not, sometimes. Sean, as a believer, is stuck with me. And I'm stuck with him. And I don't mind that. The same with Ben. The same with Sally. Anyone that is a believer, we are, we are knitted together through the blood of Christ. God placed us into one family. And if we're one family and we make up the church of the living God, if we're together and we worship together, wherever we may be, there's an expected conduct. You're going, what's the conduct? Hang on. You'll see. The motivation as we gather is to worship and learn how to live differently in this world as believers under God's rule. That is what worship's about. It's not about the smoke machines, which you have them great. They're terrible for your vocal cords. They really are, the smoke stuff. It's not about the lighting. It's not about how good the band is. It's not about how good the preacher is. In fact, the man who, one of the men who really changed the world, who gave us the majority of the New Testament, no one liked to hear him speak. They said he was terrible. They said he was ugly. He wasn't attractive to look at. He didn't wear skinny jeans or a toga. No one liked him, but that man because of who he was in Christ, really who Christ was in him, changed the world. It's not about all this peripheral stuff. It's not about whether we have a building. It's not about whether we have a sound system, not whether we have a nice cross with some lights around it. It's, not whether, it's none of that. It's this. The motivation as we gather is to worship. Worship who? God. And learn how to live differently in this world as believers under God's rule. That's what church is about. You can write that down and, and say, well, let me find it in the Bible. You'll find it all through it. That's what it's about. We are supposed to be that different. Let's go on. You all still want to stay? Okay, good. Let me show you something. Colossians. Interesting, someone read from that this morning. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Look at it. Says, conduct yourself. In fact, let's do this. Let's turn to it. We, I'm getting lazy. Let's turn to it. Look at verse five. 
Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity, right? Let's go on. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Let's go on to verse 7. No, stop there. Conduct yourselves? Is he talking about in the church? No, he's talking about, look what it says. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. What does that say? It says that we are supposed to have a different conduct than people who are not believers. We're supposed to live different. And why? Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, taking the most, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace. I, have, I, I know of, of several pastors that feel it's okay to cuss and use vulgarity while they preach because that's the language of the world. And people don't understand it if you don't do that. Forgive me, I want to go idiot. What does it say here? Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, flavored, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. We have a conduct as the church that is different than the world. Let's go on. Let's go on. So we looked at what? The motivation. Let's look at the next one. Look at verse 15 back in, in 1 Timothy. But in case I get delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. So what's the next thing? The church's master is who? It's the church of who? Say this with me. The church of the... Say that one more time. The church of the living God. The church is not a human institution. I'm sorry to say. I said it last week. It's not a 501c3. It's not a corporation. It's not any of this stuff. We have those things. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But it is not an organization. Well, I know because it's like organic. It's not put on by Whole Foods. Okay? Let's quit using all these buzzwords and get down to what it is. It's the church of the living God. Is his, the church of the living God. Let's go on. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. It was purchased by Christ's crucifixion. Acts 20, verse 28, Paul talks about it. It was purchased by his blood. In fact, turn back to Colossians and go to chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Well, let's go to 16. For by him, verse 16, by him all things are created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He, and this is all talking about Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, what are we getting from that? He's the boss, right? The creator. It all belongs to him. We had nothing to do with this. Look on. Verse 18, he also, he is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. It's God's church. 
Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, Paul said that. Also, Colossians 1.18, we just saw that. Okay? I want to look at something else. No, we'll wait. He is the owner. Matthew 16, 18. We looked at that last week when Jesus said to Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, right? And then Jesus said to him, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, but my father in heaven. And then he said this, upon this rock will I build my church. Not talking about Peter, but on the confession Peter made. On that confession he built the church because it's the gospel Still with me? Okay. Jesus sets the conduct and the rules in his house. A parent, an owner, should set the conduct and the rules in the home. Let me show you something. Turn to 1 Peter. There's the rain. You hear it? Nice. Well, that's cool. I get to preach longer. Here we go. I'm kidding. Chapter 1, verse 17 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 17. Watch this. Watch what Peter says. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. Now, wait a minute. If you address as father. See the household going on here? If you address as father the one, capital O, who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Wow. How many times do you read that a week? Let's go on. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. You think Peter's like being Peter? Bold? Look at verse 19. But with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he, was, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, who has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God. Who we, how do we become believers in God? Through Christ. Who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. You catching this? Jesus sets the conduct for the believer's life. Why? Because we're owned by him. And see, we don't like to say that anymore because that talks about slavery. It's, talk, it's racism. No, it's not. He is the master. I gave myself freely to him as a bond slave, as one who said, I want to be your servant. I want to be your child. I want to be your slave. And see, technically, the word servant that is translated in so many different uh, translations as servant, it doesn't mean that. It's a strong word that means slave. We're owned. I have no problem saying God owns me. I belong to him. And if I belong to him and I am his servant, I am, yes, his child, we love that part. Because with the child, we can get rebellious if we want to. With a slave... It's a little different. I'm both. I'm two sides to that coin. And in that, I belong to him. And he is the one who desires and says he sets my conduct. 
It's gone. So that's the master. We belong to him. I'm doing this very quickly. The church's mission is this. Go back to 1 Timothy, please. 1 Timothy. Here's the church's mission. It says that what? We're the pillar and support of the truth. Now, today's culture, we are told the truth is relative. Our truth is what, what we call it, subjective. No. Let me show you something real quick. Dr. Tony Evans said this. It was really good. Truth is a fixed standard by which reality is measured. Boom. Truth is a fixed standard, fixed, by which reality is measured. So how do we say that? Look at this verse. John 14, verse 6. Says what? Jesus said, I am the way, the... Same word. I'm the way, the truth. It's fixed. How can, you know, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? If he's the same, that means he's fixed. It does, he doesn't change. With the shifting of the, of the sands, the shifting of the waves, the light to darkness, the moon, nothing changes him. He's the same. And if he's the way, the truth, and the life, he's the truth, and the standard by which it all comes to, then he doesn't change. He's fixed. Let's go on. Jesus is the fixed standard. Any other way to God is a lie. It says that we of the church are the pillar and support of truth. That's our mission, right? Paul's word picture here was referring to what the temple of Diana in Ephesus. And according to history, it had 127 gold-plated marble pillars that supported the roof. So we're holding up, the church holds up the truth of God, does it not? Is that what Paul is saying? With the gospel, we are holding up our lifestyle, our way we talk. We saw how we were supposed to talk to people with wisdom and season with grace. If this is true, then what is our job? What is our mission? To hold up the very truth of God in this world as long as we're here. That means my life is reflecting. My life is living theology. My life is a living letter. My life is a song upon whether you're creative or theological, whatever. Your life is a living example, it's supposed to be, of who Christ is. We are supposed to live it out in such a way that people can see Christ in us. But look at this. It says the pillar and support of truth, right? Support. It's a little bit different than what we think. The word translated support appears only here in the New Testament. And it denotes the foundation on which a building rests. So you catching this? Who's the foundation? Jesus Christ. He's the chief cornerstone, right? The very foundation. Paul said, I'm not going to lay a foundation that hasn't already been laid, which is Christ. If he's the foundation, in between that, we're holding up the truth. The very covering. The very roof. We, the church, holds up the truth here in this, wor in this world. But, I, but are we? Am I making sense this morning? Okay. Because I'm at that point where I'm looking at you guys getting a deer in the headlight thing going. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation, I just said this, other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. The church's mission is to uphold the truth of God's word. Now, let's go to the next one. Go back to 1 Timothy, if you're still there, look at verse 16. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. Who, he who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed by, among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in the glory. What is we talking about here? What is this talking about? Well, first, it says by common confession. This is interesting. Again, it brings it back to the church, brings it back to the household. Common confession. It means a distinctive message, the confession of the church of Christ. What does that mean? Common confession, it means a unanimous conviction of all true believers. That means we all believe this. If we come in here and we proclaim Christ's name, if we say, that, yeah, I'm a Christian, the moment you say you're a Christian, I'm going to say this because this is exactly what it says. The moment you say you're a Christian, you say you believe this. If you proclaim Jesus as your Savior, you say you believe this. If you say, yeah, I go to church, you say you believe this. So if we say we believe it, why, and I'm saying this to me at times too, why are our lives measuring up? You're going, that's a lot of pressure. We can't do it. You're right. None of us can measure up. None of us can live this out. It's impossible. God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites knowing that it was impossible for them to live it out because the purpose was to show them what sin was. There had to be a standard. That was the standard. They couldn't live it up, and it was all pointing towards Christ's coming. But they lived in it by faith the best they could until that moment of Christ. So we can't live it out. It's by the grace of God, by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, by Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we can even live out the conduct. And in that, we still will stumble because that's why God gave us that wonderful passage that says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin. He knows we're going to stumble. What a gracious father. But yes, amen. <laughs> But the thing is, why are we not at least moving to live that way? Why do we succumb? Why do we want our own? Because we're rebellious. But that doesn't negate the standard. It doesn't negate the conduct that we are supposed to live. You know the sad part about it? I remember a long time ago, I've used him, his name many times in preaching, an old preacher named Walker Moore. And it was very influential in my, my young spirit, walk with Christ. And I asked him one time, I said, Pastor Moore, I said, why? Why is it so hard? And he looked at me and he had that crooked little finger because he was a very old man, very old man. And he, and he says, Ronnie? And he got up from his chair, and he walked over, and he went, Ronnie? He says, because you love to sin too much. And he went and sat back down. I was crushed. And he said, that offended you, didn't it? I said, yes. He goes, good. 
Why do we want? Because we love, we love sin. The Bible even says that. We love sin too much. Which means what? That we don't love God enough. The church's message common, is a common confession. And it says the mystery of godliness is great, right? Why, why, what does that mean? Mystery is a term that's used by Paul to indicate truth hidden in the Old Testament age and revealed in the New Testament age. The Old Testament age and the New Testament age was hidden in the Old Testament but revealed in the New Testament. And godliness is what? The mystery of godliness is what? Refers to the truths of salvation and righteousness in Christ, which produce holiness and believers. But what is it all about? Look at the next section. He was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in the world, taken up into glory. What is that? It's our message. That's what our lives are to proclaim. This is who and what we are proclaiming. You're going, what does it mean? Revealed in the flesh is a reference to the incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Vindicating the Spirit means that Jesus was declared by the Father as his beloved Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform supernatural works and raised from the dead. Seen by angels means what? Reminds us that the heavenly beings attended to Jesus at his birth, temptation, resurrection, ascension, signifying divine approval. Proclaimed among the nations. That's simple. It refers to the gospel being proclaimed among the nations, the whole world. Believed on in the world refers to faith in Christ's forgiveness and sins of sins and eternal life. Believed on. And it says, take it up in the glory refers to Christ's ascension. So what is it? It's the gospel. The gospel. So you go, what is the conduct of the, every believer? The gospel. We can't get past it. I'm praying about going through the book of Acts. We may spend five years, but we may get through it. But if we go through the book of Acts, you're going to see one thing in the book of Acts. One thing, and it is it's the gospel. It goes all the way throughout every sermon, every teaching, everything in the book of Acts is the gospel. Why? Because that's the conduct of the church. Our lives are living gospels of who? May we be so. It's pretty straightforward. Turn with me. Before they put the slide up, turn with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. I'll tell you a verse in a second. It's, all of this is straightforward. It's very simple. It doesn't take a scholar to figure this out. Every believer is to be a living picture of Christ. Through his love, through the way we act, through how we treat one another, how we speak, how we conduct our lives, how we conduct our business, how, the integrity we have at work. Everything is supposed to proclaim Christ. That's the whole point. Why? Because we want to proclaim the gospel to the lost. It's not a popular message anymore. And I'm not saying that to, you know, because our church is small. That has nothing to do. If I was standing in a, a, a 6,000-member church 
preaching three services, I say the same thing. In today's church, that is not important anymore, the gospel. That what's important today is how you feel. How, what makes you feel that you're, 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 good, you're good, you're a good person? We're not a good people. Outside of Christ, we're wicked and we're evil. You're going, well, I just feel better. But in Christ, we are new creations. The old has passed away, the new has come. We're a new breed of people. Let's live like a new breed. Look at verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together, not in a negative way, for the faith of the gospel. That's what he told the church in Philippi. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. There, you want the mission of the church? There it is. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. The gospel was used how many times in that? Twice. You think Paul was trying to get a message across? Yes. This is the conduct. The gospel is the conduct of the church. So we started with this. In God's household, there is an expected conduct for those who claim his name and proclaim they are his. It's true. Here's the next part. One's conduct is the proclamation of who and what one believes. Believe on and proclaim Jesus Christ. Our con one's conduct is the proclamation of who and what one believes. Who do you believe? What do you believe? Believe on and proclaim Jesus Christ. Sound good? Let's pray. Usually we have some ministry time during this time, but we know today we're going to do something different. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, it's you and Jesus right now. No one's praying for you. No one's laying hands on you. No one's giving you a prophetic word or anything of that sort. Just for a moment, ask him, do I proclaim you? Are you my life? Are you my hope? Do I proclaim you? He'll speak to your heart. You'll know. If he says yes, rejoice. In his love, if he says no, then the Bible says confess that. Ask him, Lord, through the Holy Spirit, help me live more with you. If you don't know him this morning, you're going, I don't know if I even know God. The Bible says that we've all sinned. And sin is what separates us from God. 
But it also says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You can have eternal life if you confess with your mouth your sin, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's giving your life to him. It's coming home. You're coming home to the one who made you. Come home today if you don't know him. In a prayer, just tell him, I don't know you, but I repent of my sin. I don't know you. I want to know you. Forgive me of my sin. I confess that you are Lord and that I believe in you. And I lay my life down before you and say, take my life, Lord. I give it to you. It's time, church, to live like the church. Not in arrogance, but in humble love and passion for Jesus. Let's stand, if you would. Let's sing. Let's sing one song before we go. Father, I pray that as we sing this, that, Lord, that it will be a confession of what we believe and that we become your church more and more every day. Walking in the Spirit and our lives being living examples of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. Help us love you more. In Jesus' name, let's sing this. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated the breeze. From the far side of the chasm, you had me in your side, so you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside, and there at the cross, you paid the debt 
Leah, will you turn the lights on down there? Okay. Now you're ready to sing that last one. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Okay, here we go. Come on. We're going to worship as we go. Ready? Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Come on. Yeah, one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, you have washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life. Here we go. What has he done? He brought me from the darkness into glorious life. Give him praise. Give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, see you here on Wednesday night. We got a lot to do before the move. So get ready. Okay? Blessings. Turn to somebody, look at him and say, he brought me out of darkness. What about you? <laughs>